You're just in time for the Bible Answer Man broadcast with Hank Hanegraaff, the radio outreach of the Christian Research Institute. Our purpose here at CRI is to equip Christians to pursue sound doctrine, to discern truth and error, and to become faithful disciples of Christ because life and truth matter. For more information, to order resources or donate, call 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. The following program was pre-recorded. Now, here's the president of the Christian Research Institute, Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you very much, Randy. Our contact information as we go to our callers on the web, it's equip.org, but via the mail, it's Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. And as always, resource consultants, they're standing by 888-7000, and the letters CRI. People calling from all over will go right to the phone lines and talk first to Brian in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hi, Brian. Hello, Hank. My question is in regards to the tribulation. I uh, grew up in a church that uh, preached that, you know, that on Christ's return, there'd be a seven-year period of time where, you know, people could come to Christ, that time would be followed by Jesus striking uh, Satan and, and his minions into the lake of fire. Um, my question is, is, is that a, a biblical teaching, or how should, I, how should I feel as a Christian today with, with the tribulation? Well, I think what you should feel about this is precisely what you described. Is there any biblical basis for it? If there is, hold fast to it. If there isn't, dispense with it. The fact that something is popular or even novel does not mean that it is true. And in this case, it is somewhat novel because it is a rather modern idea. And as I've said many times, the fact that it is new does not mean it's not true, but we should examine it closely as you are doing in light of Scripture and then hold fast to the good. There's not a single passage in the whole of Scripture that speaks of Christ coming secretly to resurrect and rapture Christians for seven years of heavenly bliss, and, and there's not a collection of passages that can be construed to communicate such a thing. Our Lord's very words negate the notion. He said, a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And the, the plain, the literal sense of our Lord's words suggests a moment in the future when both the righteous and the unrighteous are going to be resurrected and judged together. Now, again, saying that there's no warrant for a future seven-year tribulation is not to say that there wasn't tribulation in the past. Certainly, there was a horrendous seven-year tribulation under the Old Testament Antichrist Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And Jesus notes that tribulation in pointing forward to a soon-coming tribulation a generation from the time in which he prophesied. But Jesus also makes the point in general, in this world to be tribulation, so take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have one series of difficulties after another. As long as you're alive, you're going to experience that. 
but we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And and so what you're saying then is is that we should hold fast to that truth and and hold fast like it says in the Bible that uh, no man, not even I, know the date or the time of his coming, but just be ready because of what I'll come like a thief in the night. Correct? Yes, except I would say that that is part of the Olivet Discourse, and in context it has to do with this coming in judgment on Jerusalem, but the principle certainly applies. We do not know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return or appear a second time. We only know that He will, and therefore we should prepare as though His coming is a long way off, but be prepared as though He might come in the next millisecond. Okay, okay. I appreciate that uh, very much. What started me down this path was I always said, heard that John uh, wrote Revelation in 85, 85 to 90 A.D., and he talked about, you know, the, the temple, or I'm sorry, you know, that one of the prophecies that was left to, uh, to be fulfilled was that the temple would be destroyed. But I've done some more research on that, and it almost seems like Revelation was uh, written prior to uh, the fall of Jerusalem in, in 70 A.D., and that if, if Revelation was written after that, it would have mentioned uh, that very time when, when it was sacked and, you know, not a stone stood, you know, uh, stacked on another. Of course, yes. I mean, that's well said, because you imagine the most apocalyptic event in Jewish history. Jesus Christ actually foretells it or prophesies it. If Revelation is written long after the fact, most certainly the prophet would have seized on that to say this is to fulfill what was spoken of by Jesus Christ, just as other prophets had done before. They always seize upon fulfilled prophecy, and this is, again, arguably the most apocalyptic prophecy imaginable, where the very center of the Jewish sociological and spiritual identity is now going to be stripped away from them. If that had happened, most certainly they would have written about that. Okay. Thank you. You got it. Appreciate your call. Back to the phone line, Stephen in Warsaw, Indiana. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Hank. I appreciate you taking my call. My pleasure. Um, what I struggle with is the Arminian Calvinistic debate. Um, Calvinist, of course, with their divine sovereignty. I find that it's kind of hard not to get away from double predestination, but we know that he, God does say that we have free will. But I'm trying to blend it. I mean, Alvin J. McLean talked about it as a railroad track, and as you look down, the the tracks come together, and that in the future will come together, but we don't understand now. But that's really not a satisfactory answer, and open theism doesn't really answer it, although they are trying to answer the question of, you know, where it says that God changed his mind and everything. So I struggle with that. I am just want, want to hear, because I've heard partially how you've said it, and it seemed very satisfactory, but I'm trying to get a fuller answer. Well, if you want a full answer, I think you have to go to the articles that we've written in this regard, where you have a Calvinist and a non-Calvinist debating the subject, and then 
take the debate because you have two able debaters on both sides of the issue and look at the scriptures that they are using in context to see which corresponds to reality. I think that's just the work that has to be done in this regard. With respect to the open theist, though, I think this is a problem principally of not understanding the anthropomorphisms in the Bible and reading them in such a way that you almost press them into a wooden literalistic labyrinth out of which nothing but nonsense can emerge. And it's a very serious error, of course. But as far as the Calvinist, non-Calvinist, and I prefer to posit it that way as opposed to the Calvinist-Arminian debate, I think if you get the articles, it would do you a whole lot more good than a uh, extended explanation on the Bible Answer Man broadcast. I have done it in times past, but the articles are available. You can get them on the web at equip.org. It's a good safe zone where you can find information that is well-researched and available to you. Philip next in Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. Hi, Philip. Uh, hello. Thank you for taking my call. Pleasure. On, on one instance, when Jesus healed a blind man, he saw people walking around like trees. Jesus, when he healed all the time, it was always complete and instant. So what happened here? I read that he was led outside the village before he healed him and also asked him not to go back to the village. So what I am missing here? Well, you know, this does require some sanctified speculation, probably on my part. But if you look at the pattern set by the Old Testament prophets, they oftentimes acted out perils. So Ezekiel, for example, symbolized exile by acting it out as a warning to Israel. And perhaps that's what's going on with Jesus Christ. He is, in essence, demonstrating in parable form, in visible, tangible form, that the kingdom would be discernible in degrees. At first, the disciples see, but they are still not seeing eternity or fully understanding what's going on until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then they would more fully understand. And I think that does go in concert with what you find in the rest of Mark chapter 8. You know, Christ had to counter the false political views of Messiah, which were circulating around the world. And his mission could only be fully understood in light of his crucifixion and resurrection. So I do think that that explanation would fit with the rest of the passage. But again, I don't want to shout where I'm not certain. So that's a bit of sanctified speculation on my part. Oh, thank you very much, Hank. You got it. Thank you for your call. Be right back with more. Hank Hanegraaff's most personal book ever, Truth Matters, Life Matters More, is a vulnerable voyage detailing Hank's pilgrimage from a life devoted to a defense of truth because truth matters to his discovery that life matters more. Are you ready to discover the unexpected beauty of an authentic Christian life? To receive a copy of Truth Matters, Life Matters More for yourself or as a terrific gift to a friend or loved one, simply call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift in support of the life-changing work of the Christian Research Institute. That's 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. 
Don't go away. We'll be back in a few moments with more answers from the Bible Answer Man. Dr. Eben Alexander's wildly popular near-death experience book, Proof of Heaven, assures us that no matter what we do in this life, only unconditional love and joy await us in the world to come. But our Lord warned that while the gate to hell is wide, the road to it broad, and those who enter through it are many, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Your generous support lets Hank Hanegraaff and CRI speak out against the lies that lead to hell. In appreciation for your gift today, we'll rush you Hank's book, Afterlife, what you need to know about heaven, the hereafter, and near-death experiences, filled with answers to your questions about life after death. Call 888-7000-CRI or visit equip.org now. Again, that's equip.org. Bertrand Russell famously said, most people would rather die than think, and many of them do. Not so with CRI support team members. Support team members are not only serious thinkers, but their membership in CRI's support team helps to equip hundreds of thousands of fellow believers around the globe each and every month. Are you not a member? Then you're missing out. Not only do support team members form the backbone of Christian Research Institute's outreaches, but they enjoy their selection of resources from our Equipping Essentials Library. To discover how you can make a difference 24-7 in equipping believers at home and abroad to stand for life and truth, check out the benefits of membership at equip.org. Once again, that's equip.org. God spoken? Are the words of Scripture merely human in origin, or are they in fact the very words of God Himself? Three years in the making and based on two decades of research and reflection, Hank Hanegraaff's monumental book, Has God Spoken?, answers what is surely the most important question facing our world. In Has God Spoken? Memorable Proofs of the Bible's Divine Inspiration, Hank counters the contentions of the Bible attackers and clearly shows that belief in the Holy Scriptures is not a guess or wishful thinking. It is the only logical conclusion after an honest examination of overwhelming evidence. Order Has God Spoken? from the Christian Research Institute by calling 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. Equip Org. Every Bible Answer Man broadcast, such as the one you're listening to right now, is made possible through the financial support of friends like you. Each month, we depend entirely on God's provision through His people to bring you more of the broadcast, podcast, and other resources you rely on. If you want a sound proclamation and defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ to continue to be heard through the outreaches of the Christian Research Institute, become a member of CRI's support team today. Call 888-7000-CRI and stand with CRI daily in the battle for life and truth. 
That's 888-7000-CRI. Or visit our website at equip.org. Once again, here's your host, Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you very much, Randy. We need many of you to join the Bible Answer Man support team. Makes a big difference in our planning, particularly when people are giving on a regular basis. And for those that join the Bible Answer Man support team and give on a regular basis, I'd be pleased to send you a personalized copy of the complete Bible Answer Book, Collector's Edition to you, a family member or a friend. You can check this out on the World Wide Web at Equip.org or write me at Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. Again, on the web, equip.org. And resource consultants always standing by, 888 and the letter CRI. Back to the phone lines. We'll talk to Reagan next in Muskegee, Oklahoma. Hi, Reagan. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, my question is, is uh, what do you know about Sid Roth? I see a lot of his programming, like on uh, the church channel and stuff like that. Well, I just think it's just one of the worst programs I've ever seen on any kind of Christian format. It is rife with sensationalism, with urban legends, with false statements, bad biblical exegesis. It is a travesty. It is an embarrassment to the cause of Christ. Well, I see it come on quite often, and um, also, if, if, if it's okay to ask one more question, um, I grew up Pentecostal. I mean, that's that's pretty much the only denomination that I, you know, that I know of, and that's, I mean, that's just what I grew up around. I go to Baptist churches, I'm like, man, this is different, you know, but just hearing stuff like on your program and other radio shows, uh would you suggest to get out of that and find another one? And to find another one, what one would you, could you suggest? Well, I think what's important is that you find a healthy, well-balanced church. As I've said on this broadcast, and I say frequently, in essentials unity, non-essentials liberty, all things charity. So there are a lot of secondary issues you can disagree with, but you want to stand shoulder to shoulder when it comes to the essentials of the historic Christian faith. Beyond that, You want a church in which God is worshipped in spirit and in truth through prayer, through praise, through the proclamation of the Word. You want a church in which you're experiencing genuine oneness as delineated by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. And by the way, I would highly recommend that you read that chapter in light of the question that you're asking. And thirdly, it's a church in which you are being equipped to communicate what you believe, why you believe, and in whom you believed. And that third part of it is very important in that virtually every single theological heresy begins with a misconception of the nature of God. Romans chapter 12. I, will, I got a little bitty old Bible in my pocket, so I want to check it out. Wonderful. Music to my ears. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you so much. Okay, bless you. Thank you for your call. Back to the phone lines now. We'll talk to Ed. He's listening in Louisville, Kentucky. Hi, Ed. Hi. How, how, how are you doing, sir? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, I have a question. When I was reading about King Saul, I don't know if I have a contradiction there or, or happened, really happened. Uh, the servant did report today that he killed Saul, but the, the other part of the Bible says Saul threw himself on his sword. And so... 
why David had to kill him if he really he did kill Saul? Saul killed himself. Well, I mean, there are a number of different ways to resolve that, but, you know, turning to the passage, what you actually have in 1 Samuel chapter 31 is a very clear, definitive statement of Saul committing suicide, taking his own life. Saul took his own sword, the text actually tells us, and fell on it, which would be a clear case of committing suicide. Now, you can well imagine that the Amalekite that goes to David in this particular scenario in 2 Samuel chapter 1, where the story picks up, wants to garner favor with David, and so he's probably embellishing the story and taking credit so that David, who is the heir apparent, who is going to be the next king and end up being Israel's quintessential king, uh, that David would be pleased with him. Of course, he did not know David's heart and didn't know that this was something that David would not be pleased about at all. Because consequently he lied, so why David had to kill him? Just because uh, he didn't really kill Saul. Why consequence that he had to die? Well, David took up the lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow, as was written in the book of Jasher. But, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why this might have happened. I mean, when you say you took someone's life, and this is the life of a king that is appointed by God, it's a serious offense. Um. Can I have another question? Because sure. I asked that before, but uh, I was in a driving bad area, so I could not get your answer uh, clear. was about, uh, I could not understand why the devil fought or wanted to have Moses' body. Why he wanted to have Moses' body? What for? And uh, why Moses and not another person in the Bible, like Abraham, Joshua? But uh, I can't understand why he wanted Moses' body. What's that for? Why did he want to talk to the angel about Moses' body? Well, in the text, I think you're talking about Jude, where the point is being made that dreamers pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, they slander celestial beings. And then we're told that not even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, so a dispute with the devil about the body of Moses, in that dispute did not dare to bring up a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And this is being used, although there's not any color commentary that's provided, this is being used as an example with respect to people who speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. So obviously there's a misunderstanding here, and neither the devil nor the archangel Michael should have been disputing this, nor should we abusively contend about things that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much. You got it. Thank you so much for your call. Back to the phone lines. We'll talk next to Anna listening in Houston, Texas, on the World Wide Web. Hi, Anna. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Okay, when it comes to demons, spirits, whatever you want to call them, that are no good, that are, you know, from the enemy, I was raised um, also Pentecostal, and also I don't agree with stuff they do now. They believe in screaming, rebuking the devil, and now I heard about 
you have to divorce these demons because supposedly they think they're married to you. I know it sounds crazy. They're called water demons or water spirits. Uh, and supposedly it is biblical. I don't know where, but that's what they say. Um, well, not the Pentecostals. My friend did. Am I supposed to divorce these demons? And am I supposed to, like, like rebuke them and scream and all that? Or can I just give it to God? Well, what does Paul tell us when he talks about spiritual warfare? He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So the first principle is that we must trust in the power of God to protect rather than the power of Satan to pillage. Secondly, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. So how do you stand? Paul explains. You stand by putting on the full armor of God. And that requires understanding what each of the pieces is and how you are protected by putting on each piece of the armor. If you put on the full armor of God, you are invincible in spiritual warfare. If you do not, well, you are a guaranteed casualty. I've written about this. It is a book titled The Covering. God's plan to protect you from evil would highly recommend it to you because that is a biblical paradigm for standing against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Again, if you put on the full armor of God, you're invincible in spiritual warfare. If you do not, you're a guaranteed casualty. Out of time for this edition of the Bible Man broadcast. Do you remember the resources I've talked about, including the cover, you can find on the World Wide Web at equip.org. Look forward to seeing you right back here tomorrow with more of the show. We appreciate you tuning in to the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Before we sign off today, here's our contact information. By phone, dial 888-7000-CRI, which translates to 888-7000-274. On the internet, go to equip.org. That's equip.org. You can also write CRI at Post Office Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina. The zip code is 28271. Our prayer is that today's broadcast has equipped you to better defend your faith and encouraged you to pursue sound doctrine and godly living. Thank you for listening. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is supported by listeners like you. We're on the air because life and truth matter. Dr. Eben Alexander's wildly popular near-death experience book, Proof of Heaven, assures us that no matter what we do in this life, only unconditional love and joy await us in the world to come. But our Lord warned that while the gate to hell is wide, the road to it broad, and those who enter through it are many, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Your generous support lets Hank Hanegraaff and CRI speak out against the lies that lead to hell. In appreciation for your gift today, we'll rush you Hank's book, Afterlife, 
what you need to know about heaven, the hereafter, and near-death experiences, filled with answers to your questions about life after death. Call 888-7000-CRI or visit Equip.org now. Again, that's Equip.org.